It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Jodlowski. And I am Laura. Oh my gosh, is it horribly melting hot Missouri, Warren Hughes, your other co-host. And um, I'm really happy to be here with you all and happy to be here with you, Cameron. Yeah, another exciting episode here. But uh, Laura, would you say it's a scorcher out there? Oh, scorcher doesn't even, it doesn't even... It just doesn't even begin to to say it. And I, you know, I maybe it's that I'm getting old. Please don't tell me if that's the case. But I just can't, I don't remember it being this hot last year. I think it's been a few years since it's been so horrible. It is just like today, the real feel, I guess is what they call it, was 109 degrees. It is so humid. And, um, you know, the only thing that loves this kind of weather is, uh, the corn and the beans, and they look great. So, you know, I guess there's an upside to it, but dang, it's hot here. Um, makes me wish I was in beautiful Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, it's it's really nice here. We've been uh, doing farm work for the last couple of days. Uh, last night we worked till uh, it got dark uh, building fences, and then I went back over the fences again um, here uh, because our neighbors said they don't like animals getting out because uh, they know from experiences. And I said, don't worry, I've built some fences. And then I also said I went to the Byron School of Building Fences. So I know that doesn't mean anything to you, my neighbors, but uh, it means you don't have to worry. So can I ask, are you making your fences out of cattle panels or are you doing it with woven wire or yeah. how are you making them? Yeah, so we got cattle panels. Um, yep. Shout out to our friends, the Adamsons. We borrowed their trailer um, in order to uh, pick up the cattle panels from Farm and Fleet uh, the other day. Um, just a, a great deal of support around this um, central Wisconsin or uh, uh, southern Wisconsin area uh, for dairy goats. So uh, we have lots of lots of friends, and as I'm also finding out as well, uh, there are there is a lot of hay. That's a good problem to have. I know it is. And I'm like, I want to fill the barn. But I think the question becomes is, is who do I buy hay from? <laughs> Instead of like most of the other country, which is like, how the heck do I find hay? That's a good problem to have, Cameron. It, it is a really good problem to have. And and I'm just like, okay, I can go to this guy or this guy. Or, or it's like, what do I need? You know what I'm saying? It's like, do I need grass? Do I need alfalfa grass? Do I need alfalfa? What I'm finding is there's more alfalfa than, than meets the eye. Well, there is. And then, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit the other day, you know, how hot do you want to keep your goats on all the time? Or do you want, yeah. you know, do you want, do you want um, the uh, macaroni and cheese and hot dog hay to put aside for most of the time? And then your filet mignon hay to to pull out for the big guns, you know, but yeah. how, do you, how do you work all that? That's nice to have those options. It, it is. It really, it really is. It's very different. I will say than, than where I've been in other places as well. And um, maybe we have a, a different episode or different conversation about hay and how to use it appropriately because it's, 
And I think you've said it best at one episode. You're like, well, I always, I always think I'm going to save the fifth cutting when I get at the end, and I usually pull it out during the winter at some point. <laughs> yes, when you know around here the snow's four feet deep, and you really don't want to go buy hay because you've got all this hay sitting in the barn. And you think, oh, the heck with it, I'll just use it. So. Um, maybe someday I'll grow up and, and be better disciplined than that. But, but, but I'll, I'll tell you something, Laura, and, and something that Dr. Ed taught me here is sometimes you just got to reward those gals in the winter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally get it. They, they probably get tired of, of snow and cold and gray days too. So bringing, bringing out the good stuff that, that probably makes them pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does there, but um, moving on, it's perfect transition to talking about, What's happened on our farms? Uh, Laura, you had a very busy uh, weekend. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's probably like I'm sure that everybody does this to a degree. You have a mental list of stuff that you know needs to be done on the farm, but it's not immediate stuff. It's just stuff that needs to be done sometime. Well, at the uh, Warren household this past weekend, it was sometime. So um, God bless my daughters. I don't. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have them willing to come home after a long week at work and put a longer weekend weekend in. And um, so, you know, we all have dairy goats. So we all know that goats are great wasters of hay. And, um, you know, I still feel like that if I could just come up with a waste free feeder, I could probably retire and, um, you know, live my life out happy because everybody would buy it. Of course, you know, most goat people aren't very rich, so I don't know how that would work out. But anyway, um, my dear husband brought his tractor with a big loader bucket on it and pushed out two years of waste hay that had, that had piled up. And so like all of my, all of my hay feeders are sitting on bare ground again, which Mm -hmm. is great. Um, the goats, you know, the fences are taller again, which is great. And um, then Elizabeth and I cleaned out the barns. And uh, thank you to our listeners who recommended that we look into those walk behind um, skid steer loader, little mini loader things or whatever you want to call them. Uh, That was a game changer. It really worked well. And we were able to maneuver into a barn that for years, all we've been able to do is pitchfork and wheelbarrow it out and it's miserable. So that, that little thing, once we figured out how to use it worked like a charm. So we got all the barns cleaned out and um, rebuilt the buck pen. So we've got all brand new cattle panels on the buck pen and the bucks have all stayed in there. And, and it just, it makes it nice to go outside and look at it. And I don't feel like um, such a hick now. It, it actually looks, you know, kind of cleaned up. So yeah, anyway, yeah. That, yeah, that was, that was my weekend. And, and I just want to mention, I'm glad that those fences are working for my bucks because Cameron, all of my does have been in heat over the past two weeks. Laura, I mean, I'm surprised you didn't pull up the tank for anything for those late late December kids, or January one kids. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh-uh. no. I'm sorry. I don't. Please don't shoot me. I'm I'm gonna be totally honest. I really like going to Key West in January. <laughs> so I do too. You, 
you will find me at sloppy joe's in in january not thinking about having baby goats here so that's <laughs> that's i'm that's my story and i'm sticking to it so no no well, that sounds that sounds pretty fun there. But uh, you got some big things. You got some fun things though coming up on the horizon though. A goat show this weekend, right? Yep, uh, we're headed to Nebraska this weekend for a goat show, and then just a couple of weeks after that, um, the Missouri State Fair, and that will probably end our show season for this year. So uh, we always look always love the State Fair, and. Um, that same week that state fair is coming. It's a good thing. I have that to look forward to because Caroline goes off to college oh. and I'm, I'm an empty nester. So that's, that's going to be strange around here. So, but enough about my world. You are just wow to all of our stakeholders that have been following <laughs> your barn building. I, I It's, it's almost like a mushroom Cameron. Things just keep growing overnight. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, um, we we finalized water, uh, which was it's just probably news for the stakeholders there um, today, and um, we're putting our our data cables in, as we'll call them, um, and laying that appropriate trenching right now. By data cables, I mean we're going to put internet in the barn, probably with like a Wi-Fi router or something like that, so um, we can watch like um, Netflix in the barn or. Uh, wireless cameras, most likely Netflix. Um, but uh, I love that. So, hey, on your wa- back on your water, are you yeah. doing like? Are you having like a sink with hot and cold water to like wash milking stuff, or is it just like a water hydrant so it's easy to water your critters? Um, so there's two. We installed two water hydrants today. Um, there was a misunderstanding by my water guy. So there was going to be, a, there was supposed to be a sink put in and I told him about that, but he did not get the memo on that. So, um, yeah, so we just said, go, go along with it. We'll figure it out later type thing. Right. Um, and we haven't put concrete down or anything yet. So, um, we're, we're, it's okay for now. So, um, it's coming though. And then figuring out how to, how to have a water heater in there and all sorts of stuff. Um, we've got some ideas, but that's for uh, a, a different time, and uh, yeah, uh, a little bit more resources, as I'll call them here. <laughs> that is so exciting, though, and I just to be able to start from scratch and build a barn the way you want it. I just, I just think that's so fun. Oh, we're already figuring. We we're already thinking about things that went wrong just in the design. So, <laughs> well, so. like. That's probably normal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's completely normal. And then I was talking to somebody. They're like, "Oh, they're going to wish you did a sixty by ninety, or you know, a, a bigger barn, or something." I'm like, "Yeah," but I I got like a lot of room. I I don't know. I got a lot of room. I'm super thankful for that. Um, but we're filling the barn with stuff, though. I got a hundred bales of um, third cutting off alpha today, um, and then I think uh, tomorrow I need to text the guy. I'll probably text him in the morning now. Um, that uh, I've got another 120, 140 bales of straw, um, coming as well. So, um, figure it's, it's better if it's in the barn is what I'll say. Um, because it's, it's easily accessible on hand. Yeah. Lots of, lots of stuff there. Um, lots of supply runs, uh, my goats, um, the Alpines went to the Indiana state fair without me, with my dad. 
um, and we had some success there. So shout out to my dad and my mom for going. Uh, my mom doesn't go to goat shows very often, um, except when I can't make it. And she thinks she needs to go because uh, we make a lot of money at those shows. And Indiana State Fair was exactly that. So that's why she went. <laughs> I love that. And I bet they had fun. It was probably like old days. Uh, according to sources, they had fun. I, I really don't know. Um, so, yeah. Good. Good. Well, congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, other than that, um, the goats, I'll say this for the listeners here, because the goats will come when this podcast drops. So we will have the first round of goats here, and there will be some goat addition, and then there will be some goat subtraction as well with a fluctuation in numbers. Um, due to some certain circumstances that involve a, a fair and other things there. So, um, but the goats will be here and I will be off of milkcation permanently, probably. Wow. Cameron, you're going to have to make sure that one of you films the first goat stepping off the trailer into the new barn. It'll probably be them just finding us getting off the trailer. I think that's just wonderful. I'm so excited for you guys. Uh, yeah. Are they? Are your goats coming first or are Catherine's goats coming first? Yeah, the goats are coming first. and all, We're moving them all for the state fair preparations um, for Wisconsin uh-huh. so we can get them ready and get them clipped and we can just trailer them right to the state fair there. They will be staying as of right now until the 21st um, of August. And then we will go to a goat show where I will take – the ones that are her sisters back to her parents' house. Um, and I will be also picking up my goats at that fair. I think that's how it's going to work. That's probably news for Ed if he's listening. Uh, <laughs> so that, that is the current plan right now. Oh, I love it. I think that sounds, I think that sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's a little scary, um, but uh, it, it is what it is. Um, we've, we've got water. We don't have electrical, but uh, we can run drop cords for that. So, yeah. Well, all exciting. You'll have to share pictures as you can. Yes. Yes, absolutely. For the stakeholders. Yeah. Uh, moving right along to Adga news here. It seems like those 9,000 papers were sent out um, and are waiting to reach the mailboxes of the members. It's fun to see people, you know, giving some positive comments about NG and ADGA on Facebook. So yay. I'm happy that happy that we're getting them. Sorry that it, sorry that the problem happened, but happy that the papers are getting out. And I just, I I don't know if any of the office staff listen to goat gab. I'm guessing probably not, but um, any chance that any of our listeners have to give kudos to the office staff, a bunch of them stayed long hours overtime, stayed on the weekend and everything to get those ready to get mailed out. So, you know, thank you. Thank you. ADGA office staff for really going the extra mile to making sure that these got out as soon as the, the issue was discovered. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And that one there. Additionally, uh, don't forget to vote for directors again. Um, that is the way that uh, democracy can happen and change can happen as well. So, Uh, I'm not going to say don't forget to vote. I'm going to say don't forget to be the change that you want to see. Right. And, And also, too, after you vote and after the results come out, and I think that's usually towards 
towards the middle of August, I believe. When the results come out and you find out who your directors are, don't hesitate to reach out to them and let them know what's important to you. You know, um, just electing them is important, but making sure that they know what's important to you is just as important, I think. Yeah, absolutely on that one. So again, be the change you want to see. Yeah, I think that's that's a great thing. Um, Cameron, are we ready to go on to our topic? Yeah, let's let's move on here and talk about this week's topic, which so, is which is talking about selecting that next herd sire. Yeah, absolutely, it's so crucial. Um, we say, you know, people say that a buck is half your herd. Uh, really, it's probably sixty to seventy percent of your herd, maybe. I mean, it's, it's where your next group of kids is coming from, um, and it's so important to make sure that you're. Not just picking a a herd sire, and you're picking the right herd sire. Remember that, um, fortunately or unfortunately, we only have so many breeding seasons as goat breeders. So making sure that we pick that right herd sire is is essential. And I think too, along with that, you know, uh, you look at dairy cattle, for example. It takes nine months to get a calf out of that, and they have typically one at a time. Well, we're really lucky with goats because it's only five months with goats and they usually have more than one at a time. And the flip side of that is that that herd sire can make a huger, that's not a word, a larger impact, a heavier impact in your herd. Um, If he's great, woohoo. And if he's not, oh man, you've got a lot of animals to sort through there. So if, if he's not great though, it's easier to know which ones to get rid of. (laughs) <laughs> very true. Very true. Right. Right. <laughs> and I guess it gives you, I guess it gives you an opportunity to, to see, you know, is your damn line a really strong line and can it overcome issues that that buck has thrown out there and so forth. But I'm jumping ahead. We'll get to some of that here in a little bit. Yeah. So, so, um, so where yeah. do you start, Karen, when you start oh. thinking about, okay, I think a good question is, how do you know when it's time to bring in a new buck? Uh, a couple things. Um, one, if something isn't working for you, so you're not liking the kids out of your, your current herd sire, so that's a good time for a change. Um, maybe you've got some goats that you can't breed to it, so uh, breed, to, breed to your current bucks because they're, grand, they're grandsires or they're sires there. Um, of individual does. So that's a good sign that you need to bring in another buck as well. Or um, maybe you're looking for something different. Maybe you're like, okay, like this is, this is the year I need to spice it up. Um, For me, I'm always shopping for a buck, even when I don't need one for lack of better terms. But at the same time, I'm never shopping for a buck. I will look for a buck. I will get a buck if it's an absolute necessity. Um, But also at the same time, if I can, pick up a buck along the way or have something unexpected happen. Um, that's, that's, I will always take those opportunities too. So what you're saying is serendipity sometimes is a really good thing when you look at a buck that it just so happens that this buck is available or somebody contacts you and says, Hey, you know, I happen to have this breeding. Is this something you might be interested in? And voila, a happy accident happens. And there you go. Yep. So just the other day, somebody somebody messaged me on the Facebook and said, hey, what do you think about this breeding? And I looked at the breeding and I thought, and the, I know this person listens to Goat Gab, I thought, hmm, that could be a buck. That could be a breeding I might want a buck out of. 
Mm-hmm. So, so it, sometimes it's it's serendipity, like you said there. Um, what does it, where I start? But I, I think we always have to be looking in order to take the herd to the next level. If that makes sense. But I also think, Cameron, something that you said you're always looking, but you're not. Yep. <laughs> you're not looking. I do, I think you don't want to breed yourself into a corner or make yourself to a point where you are totally um, like frantic that you don't have a buck. I mean that, you know, any, any port in a storm and, and I'm going to tell a story on myself and, and you know, this Cameron probably, Oh, we'd had, we'd been back into goats probably, I don't know how many years. And I realized that the buck that, that I had planned on using um, died. He, he died. And here I was in September and I thought, I don't have anything to breed these goats to. And I don't want to rely on my AI skills. I, I didn't feel very confident in that. And that's when I reached out to you guys and happened to lease a buck. You had a, happened to have a buck that I wanted to lease and it worked out great. So I felt like that that year I was kind of like um, in a corner and that's not a comfortable spot to be. Having said that though, I got some beautiful animals that I could use in my breeding program out of that. So again, sometimes serendipity pops up and it, and it's lucky, but really you don't want to be in that kind of a situation. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is you need to size up the herd. Okay. Who are my, who are my does out of? Are they out of bucks that I have retained? Do I have sons? Do I have sons of does that I can't use there or, or other things? Or do you need to, you also need to consider, do I have elite does in my herd that I could potentially keep a buck out of as well? So really thinking about that. So, um, you know, I'll pick on my herd, for example, I've got a goat named Fancy. Fancy is not from our herd. So because she is an out, not really an outcross, but she is not from our herd and doesn't have some of our genetic lines in it yet. It's all similar, but it's a little bit of a little bit of distant there. I could keep a buck out of her. So that's another thing as well. So really just, I I call it sizing up the herd, but take stock of what you got. Right. And also, you know, that's where AI can really shine too, is when you realize that you have that elite doe in your herd and, um, especially if she maybe is unique in some of her bloodlines you or you could bring in that buck who's a total outcross and keep something from that doe and and breed your own herd sire so that's that's like yep. an, a, a, an amazing way to go at it too I think the next thing you need to consider is what do you need to improve in your herd? Do you see consistent traits or maybe you've got let, uh, let me go back to my classic example I'm gonna pick on Mo again here. And, and Mo, and I'm just going to make this scenario up so people don't get think I'm picking on Mo. Mo throws really big teats in his daughters. So I know I need to improve that or I need to improve pasterns or, or other things there. You need to think about what traits that you want to improve upon in your herd before you go start it and pick up a new herd sire. And in some ways, don't you think, Cameron, if your herd is somewhat line bred or somewhat consistent in type, that is a much easier project to do than if you have um, a herd that has type all over the place, which not picking on herds like that, because most of us were probably that way when we first started out, had a lot of different types in our herd. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely there. So that's kind of where I start. Don't you, where, where else do we start, Laura? Well, I, I think also, unfortunately you have to kind of look at your pocketbook too. 
Oh, yes. we You um, have to make a budget. Yeah, you have to make a budget because, um, you know, especially if you like to play that buck of the month thing. And I'm not I'm not trying to be hateful or um, putting down that, but it is tempting sometimes to go with the flavor of the month and look at what buck is the hot buck in the, in the breed that is your breed and think that you need to go back and get that. But you know what, maybe the genetics can be found in a lesser known herd or um, a full brother two years younger to that buck that may throw a similar thing. So you can kind of, you can kind of bargain shop a little bit if you don't have that big um, budget to get the big name that you think you might want. Yeah, that's that's a good one there. And also, when I think about proximity to where you are as well, can you drive to it, pick up the buck, or do you have to fly them in? That's a big thing too. So rolling all of those thoughts into your budget is important to understand as well. And along with that too, um, you know, we have a big sale coming up in a few months called the Spotlight Sale. Now, are you going to pay more money buying an animal from a Spotlight Sale? Yes. But you know, many times those breeders, maybe they have a brother to that buck that you could use or you could buy for not the same amount that you're going to pay in the spotlight sale. So there are, there are ways that you can kind of look at that too, or maybe the spotlight sale, maybe you might be paying more for that animal because of the advertising part of it, but maybe your best friend's driving out to convention anyway, and they could bring that animal back for you. You might save enough money on transport that it becomes a viable option for your herd. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's where we start. But the next thing we, we, we talk about here is, is how do we pick it out here? And then I really want to focus on, do we look at a genotype or a phenotype of it all? And I think there's two different styles and approaches there. And I think Laura and I are on the same page, but just for sake of argument, I might take the opposite. So Laura, where are you? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm a little of both, but I'm going to explain why I'm going to say that. Okay. Okay. I think genotype is important because I feel like a buck himself should either be um, line bred or almost inbred, you know, closely bred so that he can make a big genetic impact um, or line bred with an outcross like line bred on what you already have in your herd. If does that make sense there? So I think the, the, the gene picture that you get is really important, but I am all about phenotype when I look at that buck's dam and that, that is just, that is my rule of thumb. I am a big dam line person. And if I look at that buck's dam and I don't want that type of memory system and that type of animal in my herd, like stamped in the herd, I'm going to walk away from that buck. So does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of both, but I will always, if, if I had to pick here and I'll just think about this here, I would, I will take genotype over phenotype. If that makes sense. It makes and, sense. And, yeah. and I want to say, I want to say very strongly I don't care what the buck himself looks like. Yes, absolutely. I don't. And, and, and Laura, you're very, you're different than me, but I don't show bucks. I don't care to show bucks. I've shown one buck in probably the last 15 years. 
like 10 years, 10, 15 years. It was terrible. Um, and that's not to say I didn't enjoy myself, but it was so late at night at a bunch at a goat show. Well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, Cameron. I'm not a big buck show fan. I've, I've shown some bucks and I finished some bucks only because there weren't any doe shows around and I kind of missed my goat friends. So I thought, well, what the heck if I'm going to be there being a ring steward or a secretary at the show, I might as well bring something. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, you know, bucks, bucks live a hard life, you know, and sometimes bucks are beautiful and, and I admire a pretty buck. Sure. But I also know that many times bucks get stuck out in the back 40 and they don't get the same care and the same, the same feed and the same opportunities that does do. So I'm not going to discount a buck just because maybe he's not a pretty buck. We all know the stories of the bucks that, that looked horrible and through national champion quality does. So. Yeah. Let let me, let me jump on the conspiracy train theory here. Sure. You know, some, and again, I'll put my tinfoil hat on. I don't really care. Some of the best bucks still have pictures of them ever, you know, and I'm just going to throw, you know, I'm not going to throw some names out there, but, you know, I think about some very notable Alpine sires. I've never seen a picture of them and, you know, I'm an internet troll. I feel like I would find them if I could. (laughs) Right. And okay. I am going to throw an Alpine name out there because everybody talks about this buck. I never, I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of Saison, but I don't think anybody could argue that he didn't throw amazing daughters in the Alpine breed. True. A hundred percent. I've never seen a picture of yeah, I've never seen a picture of Saison. I had to no, stop there. But I heard he was ugly. I heard he was ugly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, does it I matter? Mean, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. So you can go the phenotype route, you know, and pick it based off it. I see a doe and, and I fall in love with this doe and I get a buck out of it. And that's fine if you're playing um, in an American world and have an American breed or you have an open herd book or, or something like that. But, you know, if, if you're like Laura and myself and you live in a closed herd book world, that's a little different story. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yes, it is a um, different story. But, I, you know, and that might be the reason why I focus so much on a genotype compared to a phenotype there. And I have Catherine always whispering in my ear, man, you should use da-da-da-da-da or da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, that's an American. That's an American. That's an American. And and it's not because I don't like Americans. By golly, I've made Americans best in show and uh, shows and, you know, used them and placed very well under, placed them very well at shows I've judged. And I admire a lot of them. But I just know that if I were to cross that phenotype or genotype wise, I don't know if it would cross in as well as I would hope. Unless there's some Amer- uh, purebred alpine in the background. And I also know that for me, again, I, I greatly admire American Alpines, American anything. I mean, there's, they're beautiful. I am not a snob. I I think they're beautiful. I also know that for me, I have a very small herd and I have to have something as a limiting factor. So uh, sticking in the purebred herd book for me is a great way to limit what I'm, what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm comfortable with those bloodlines. And, and I've had people, Cameron, and I'm sure that you have had people ask you this too. Well, how do you know, how do you know what lines cross and how do you know, how, how do you know if your line breeding is going to work? And I don't have a really great answer for that. Do you, I just, you just, you learn, you just know that's, that's what comes with years. I think of breeding. 
It's a feel feeling. It's a feel almost. And I think we talked about it on a different episode where breeding philosophies, where it's just a feel feeling, you know, it's, it's something that you just feel is going to work. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't. (laughs) Yeah. By golly, you know, we've had a lot of times where it it doesn't, but um, let's, we're going to jump off our our Alpine train here. Um, So I apologize. Right, because I think, I think it could go for any breed. I I don't think it's just an Alpine thing for sure. Um, You know, I, I remember with Nubians, you know, um, maybe it could be argued that Nubians have to, you even have to pay more attention to line breeding with Nubians. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, yeah, I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree there. I think it, as big as that gene pool is, I feel like that's an Olympic size swimming pool of genes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so Cameron, I think once, once you've decided like what your budget is and what you're kind of looking for, then you actually have to go out and like figure out how you're going to get this. How, how do you do that? You know? Yeah, um, because yeah. most people or many people, I would say, start out with a baby buck mm-hmm. because that's they're easy to transport. Yep. They're less expensive, usually. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There's all of the world of potential there. Correct. Correct. And you can make friends with them as younger bucks. Yeah. You can raise them up the way you want them to go. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There, um, but you know, before you even buy that buck, I think the first question is: is when do you make contact with that breeder? Um, it, it's maybe not even a reservation. It's maybe just a conversation to say, "Hey, I looked at some of your stock. I really am interested in, in something like that." Or my favorite thing is, "Hey, I want a buck. I think I want it from X line of yours, or I really like this goat, this goat, this goat. This is what I'm looking to improve upon." What do you recommend? Um, Gosh, Cameron, don't you think that that conversation is probably skipped a lot? It absolutely and is. Maybe one of the most important conversations that you can have, because uh, I feel like when you buy a herd sire from a breeder and especially an established breeder that, you know, maybe you've watched them for a while and have admired their animals to not have that relationship conversation of this is what I think I need to improve in my herd. This is where I think I want to go. What do you think of that idea? I think that is skipped most of the time, and it's a really important one. Well, and I, I had, and this is of newer here, I bought a buck from Dr. Jonine Rao um, a couple years ago, and he and she said it to me best. She's like, this is a partnership. You know, if he doesn't work out, you don't like the kids about him, let's work together in order to get this right because I want to do, I, I want to make sure that my genetics are represented in your herd ju- as they would in my herd. Not that I think the, the buck is going to throw bad things because I, I don't think that at all, um, especially after seeing his daughters. But um, it, it, it truly shows that, hey, if you – I think the biggest thing is one is ask the questions. Show that you're going to be invested in the animal when you're buying a junior herd sire by asking questions there. And yes, it's really annoying sometimes and sometimes I get annoyed. But at the end of the day, it's your money and if you're going to show your commitment – to your animal that you're buying and asking all these questions on, uh, it's going to show that you're very serious and it's going to not only um, create that relationship, but even strengthen that relationship in my eyes. And I think for newer, for newer breeders, if you're just getting into it, you may feel like, I don't even know, I don't know what questions to ask. I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want this breeder to think that I'm dumb. I can assure you 
you know, that old adage, there's no, there's um, no dumb question. Every question should be asked. You know, if, if you sincerely want to learn from a breeder, I can't imagine that they are not going to be sincere in answering your questions. And if they're not sincere, and if you find out that they tell you wrong information or other things, then don't talk to them or, or don't, don't buy from them again. I, I think in this industry, you have to create a level of trust with a, with a buyer or with a seller. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a seller, you have to create it with a buyer and you have to create a buyer has to create it with a seller too. And if you don't have that level of trust back away from the sale. Yeah, I would agree. And along with that too, I would, I would tell you, don't wait until August and reach out to a breeder and tell them that you need a buck for that fall. Get them all the time. I, That's, I, yeah, I do too. And, and you know, you, you fail to plan, you're going to plan to fail because serious breeders are not going to have the type of bucks around. Typically, typically. you might get lucky, but typically it's good. You're not going to find what you want. Your lack of preparedness does not con- stop, constitute an emergency on my end. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So, now you might get lucky. You might come across a breeder that says, you know, I was planning to use this two-year-old buck. I've got some really nice daughters on the ground, but I've just realized that I can't use them. I would be willing to let him go. That, you know, you might get lucky on that, but don't count on it because you're probably not going to. Yeah, absolutely. There. So, Junior Herd Sires, Laura, when do you like to make your reservation? Um, this time of year. Like when people are starting to put their breeding lists out, that is, to me, that is like the last, you, you want to get your reservation in then. Um, Ideally, if you see a doe that you think you want a buck out of earlier, if you can pay them at the show, hey, I want to put a hundred bucks down on a buck out of that doe. I think you, you can do that then. I don't what, think I don't think yeah. you'd be too early. What do you think? No, absolutely not. In my mind, is is that if you see a goat you like at the national show and they leave that class, you say, hey, here's a hundred dollar deposit. I know you don't know me from Adam. But here's a hundred dollars. I want a buck hit out of that buck goat. Nothing yeah. to me. Nothing. If you did that to me, that means you're serious about this buck, and that makes me want to work with you even more. I'm also a pretty intense person, so so <laughs> I, I like that intensity. Or or go up after the show, or 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 even if you find that animal before the show, and you say, "Hey, I want to put a buck down." Um, and I'll tell a story about this. Here is is we had the opportunity to get a buck. Um, from a well-known breeder, um, actually, uh, ironically, it's Mo um, that we talk about on the podcast as an example here. Um, but and we talked to the breeder before the national show, or before that we showed Alpines, and the dam eventually won her class, or was second in her class, and was reserved national champion. So having those conversations before the show can be more fruitful than after the show at a national show or or even a state fair level. Yeah, for sure. So, so I would say the very latest time is in kidding season. And, and, you know, sometimes you can still get good bucks when those kids are on the ground and 
uh, maybe the breeder that you're following puts on Facebook, hey, guess what? I've got twin bucks out of this beautiful doe and, you know, I've got them available. You can still get some really nice bucks that way, but you're not going to be getting the first choice of them. They're and probably I, have already right. filled their reservations. So, and, and I think that you always want to ensure that you get what, what you want or have that first choice or first opportunity there. Um, so that's, that's the really important thing there. But I think when you buy a junior herd sire, you always have to think, especially if it's out of a special doe or something like that. Um, is there, is there a way for a partnership or is there a, um, some type of special clause, um, clause in a sales contract or something like that? And I'll, I'll, Laura, can I tell the listeners our story? Absolutely. So, um, um, Laura had agreed and we gave Laura some semen and we had done this before with some breeders where, Hey, we're going to give you some semen and we're going to get a buck back. Um, it, it worked great. The first time we said, Laura, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to give you these straws of these semen here. You're going to breed the goat to this. We had agreed on what the, what the goat was going to be bred to. And then if there's a buck, um, we're, we're going to co-own him. And, and that was the plan for me and Laura. Um, right. it, it was a pretty dang good plan, wasn't it? Well, it was because you were, we were going to co-own that buck. And then you had a doe that I wanted a buck out of too. So we were, it, that you didn't want to totally lose track of either. So it was going to work out great. Yes, it was. And then the word is, uh, was, 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 um, because none of the does cooperated. No, no. Single doe kid. Woohoo. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and I won't talk about mine, yeah, uh, no, no, no. but it would have worked out great. It would have been a mutually beneficial, uh, situation for both of us. So yeah. I think, I think that when you can do those things, that is the best. I mean, that's, yeah. that really is the best. Yes, it does. So really, if you have a unique opportunity to do that, I'm going to encourage you as listeners to um, at least look into it, take advantage of it there. But I think there are other unique partnerships that can go along the way as well. And one of those is, and I think, um, I feel like the the Midwest Alpines have probably um, wrote the chapter on these last two is the lease program. Yeah, uh-huh. And that, um, that works really well too. <laughs> so Laura, you've had experience with leases um, and it's a great program, right? It is. I mean, you know, as I mentioned before, I leased a buck from you guys and he was out of a doe that I had just drooled over for years and years and years. So I was so excited to get a chance to use her buck kid and got some really nice daughters out of him. And then you guys got the benefit of seeing what this buck kid did in somebody else's herd. So then you were able to get some nice daughters out of him after that. Yeah, it, it, um, it is. It's kind of, but I will say there are caveats with it there, but, and we've done it as well with, with Craig Coatman, with the Thompsons. Um, I'm trying to think if we, we don't, I don't think we've done it a lot with the Manchas. We've, we've leased out bucks to friends and generally it is, Friends, and if you do lease programs, uh, I, I do suggest it's a trusted herd with right. a, a herd health program that you are okay with. Um, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, it, it just has to be the, something that you're okay with. I'm not just going to leave it at that there. 
Um, right. I don't think we need to go deeper into that because yeah. everybody has levels of what they're okay with and, and ways to mitigate things that maybe hurts you differently. And that is totally fine. I mean, that's, you have to, you have to have that sense of trust too, because not only is the herd health something that you want to ask about, but I really think that you have to have that comfort with each other so that, oh my gosh, your buck tried to jump a fence and broke his back leg. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do with a situation like that? Because you know, and I know that goats like to do stupid things. So that can totally happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so have comfort, have a comfort level knowing that the person that you're leasing to is going to take care of that animal just like they would their own. And, mm-hmm. you know, assume good intent and assume that it's going to be fine. And, and, you know, talk about those things, have that level of trust. Yeah, I, that's really important there. And that kind of gets to our, so our next one here is a buck swap, similar to a wife swap, um, except the food might be better. I don't know. Um <laughs> But, okay, uh, moving out of that, Cameron. <laughs> um, a buck swap here is where, hey, I you have a, a buck that I want to use. Hey, you got a buck that you I want to, you know, Laura's got a buck that I want to use, and and Cameron's got a buck that Laura wants to use. And hey, you take them for the first half, I'll use them for the second half type thing. Um, those can be very fruitful partnerships as well, um, especially if it's genetics that uh, you don't want to pay for. And if you have a small herd like I do, a buck is a big investment. And so it may be hard to really see what he can do. But man, if if there are two or three small herds in a geographically close area, you can each buy a buck and then swap them. And you've got three years of, of bucks to breed to if you if you want to. I mean, it, there's a lot of ways that can be really beneficial. Yeah. And also when you think about it from a a performance programs evaluation as well, you're going to have more herds in order to strengthen that reliability of the LA data as well. If both herds are on linear appraisal as well. Yeah. There's that's, that's a really awesome way to look at it. Um, I, I would say as you're working on this, whether it's a buck swap or it's a buck lease, make sure that you have all your paperwork straight with AGA. Um, not not to be dogging on NG, I don't mean to, but um, in our prior system, it was a pretty easy thing to do a lease. Um, once you got the lease, the lease agreement that Buck would show into the um, person's um, owned list, and they could do service memos all day long out of that Buck. And then once you uh, ended that lease, it went back to the owner again, and it was easy peasy. That's how it's supposed to work in NG, I think. So. Yeah, no, definitely there. It's, it's um, yeah, it, it is things there. But um, the last way that you can acquire a herd sire, and this is, I, I kind of dread this one because it's always a pain, but you can always go pick up a senior herd sire silver. So, Cameron, you've done that, and I have not. Okay. Yeah. Um, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, first off, it's always a pain. Um, because the bucks are big and they're usually picking them up in like a, a topper or something like that and getting them to get into the topper is always a pain. Um, or you have to transport them from somewhere and put them on a transport here. Um, but it is a way to kind of know what you're buying. When you buy a junior herd sire, you might not know. You're not going to know what the udders are going to look like. You don't know what the kids are going to look like there. Um, but it is a way to kind of know what you're buying. 
um, and knowing what traits you may get out of that, if assuming the lines are similar there. So that is a positive, but with that comes um, other challenges as well, including you're going to have a lesser of a longevity of their life. So again, you're maybe buying a two-year-old or a three-year-old herd sire. I mean, you're not going to have them until, you know, for a full six or seven breeding seasons. Um, two, um, he could potentially open yourself up to any herd health concerns that you may have there. Um, and, and three, he doesn't know you again from Adam. Um, so he may try to kill you for lack of better terms. Yeah. I mean, temperament can be a big issue and, you know, bucks tend to get, they're like grumpy old men, not sorry, sorry to our male listeners. I don't mean to be mean like that, but you know, they get set in their ways and they like their, they like their barn and they like their feet and they like their life. And you've just totally upended their world. So Mm. That really can bring out some temperament issues. I also would say, too, um, again, you've got to have that good relationship. But along with the health testing that you might require before you buy a buck, you may also consider seeing if they won't um, check and make sure that he's got viable semen. Because, you know, sometimes people will have a buck. You know, they'll get kids out of them in the spring. They'll keep that buck all summer long. And then they'll decide in the fall, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and sell them. Not realizing as they've sold that buck that something has taken place over the summer and now they're sterile. So make sure that, you know, if you're buying a mature buck, make sure that you feel confident that he at least isn't shooting blanks. Mm-hmm. So Laura, or I guess the question you asked me here, but I, I'm going to ask you first here is, if you're bringing in a senior buck, I guess what qualities do you, you what would you look for there? Uh, definitely, I would want to see udders out of him. You know, see what see what he's produced in somebody else's herd, um, and, and not just not just what he produced with one breeding. I want to see across the herd. You know, not not we we all know that there are sometimes that a buck and a doe can really click and be amazing together you want to see that that buck was amazing with several does. Yeah, I agree there. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, this is an interesting question. You put on the, the, the question here, do the sisters matter? If yeah. So yeah. that's, that's a question that I've got because I, so I'll tell a story. I'm not, I'm not saying animals, but um, a, a friend of mine had made an Alpine breeding that I thought was just amazing. And um, it was a beautiful doe that had beautiful milking daughters and they bred this doe to a buck that sired some national champions. So you would think that was a match made in heaven, right? And so this doe happened to have two bucks and a doe out of that breeding. And I used the buck as a buck kid. <coughs> Excuse me. And the next year that doe freshened with probably the worst udder that I have ever seen, the sister to this buck. So in the back of my mind, I was all freaked out thinking, oh my gosh, this is awful. This is, you know, why ah, I bred most of my herd to this buck and what am I going to do here? And actually I was, I was panicking for no reason. Uh, The daughter's freshened very nice out of that buck. So I guess that's a question I'm going to throw out there. Would you be scared to use a buck if his full sister was a swinger? Yeah, I, I probably would if I knew she was a swinger, for lack of a better term. I love that swinger. Um, there, 
Um, but also sometimes I feel pretty confident in some of my line breeds as well there that I can overcome some of that swinginess. So if it's mm-hmm. line bred on a goat that I really, really like, um, I, I feel like I could potentially work with some of that, but maybe I breed it to goats with good udder attachments. Well, and in this case, the nice udders that we got, it was a line breeding back on the dam of that buck. So I feel like that it intensified intensified the dam lines and probably um, overshadowed what the buck brought in. But whoo, man, that was that was a little nerve wracking watching those does freshen the next year because it was mm-hmm. it was a little scary to think that we were going to get udders like that because it really was ugly. Okay. Laura, I want to, I want to, I want to debate now. I'd like to move on to a debate section. Okay, let's debate. So the question is, is do you, do you see the need, see the need to see the buck mama in person before you can get a buck or can you buy a buck on pictures alone? Um, That's hard, Cameron. (laughs) Because I've, because I've done it both ways. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I have bought, I bought a buck on pictures alone and later learned when I saw that the dam in person that, Hmm, that's not really what, that's not really what I thought she was. Okay. Okay. It ended up up working out fine. Um, I, I, my preference is always to see the doe in person. I mean, or at least at the very least, Get a video, you know, phone, phones, everybody's got cell phones now and it's easy to take a video of an animal. I want to see that animal on the move. You can, a good showman can hide so many things in setting yeah. an animal up and taking a picture that I really do want to see that animal on the move. That's how, that's how you can judge what their front end really looks like, how their top line looks as they're, when they're on the move. Um, is that memory system securely attached? I just think when you can get an animal moving, you can see so much. So I'm going to say that for the most part now, I don't want to buy a buck unless I can see the dam in person. So what, what is your thoughts on that, Cameron? Absolutely. You need to see, you need to see the dam or feel very comfortable in the line breeding of it all. So that, that is the biggest thing is, and I will use bucks this year, a a buck this year that I have not seen the dam of. And, but I feel comfortable in a line breeding and what my understanding of the genetic base in order to use it there. Am I scared a little bit? Yes. Do I like the risk it's going to be? Yes. Um, but to, to me, I think you have to see, if you're going to invest the money, I, you've got to see the buck. You've got to see the doe. The buck The buck doesn't matter, in my opinion. You've got to see the doe um, in order to know what you're getting there. Um, because pictures can be deceiving. So, Cameron, playing devil's advocate a little bit here. Yep. How does that work with AI? Ooh, that's different. It's different there. Um. Uh-huh. Because I, we, you and I both use um, bucks sometimes that have been gone for twenty years. Yeah, but I know what the sisters look. Like. You know what I'm saying? Or like I know, like it's gonna be on this line, and this comes. Let me take. Let me take for example 
the, the doe that I have that is out of semen from the late 80s. And it's a super fun breeding. Um, but I had a sister. We had a sister at one point, And we kind of – we knew what the sister looked like. So because I didn't – I hadn't seen the damn person, obviously, because the goat was born before I was born. I, I knew what the sister looked like, and I could visualize how it was going to all play <laughs> out, if that makes sense. Sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But for a new breeder, Cameron, how do you tell – how do they do that? They don't – you know, they, they don't have – they don't have maybe an old sales list or they don't have that benefit. I mean, that how, how do you teach that to somebody? I think it's – that's a good question. It's a case by – you're asking the hard questions today. Um, I am, uh, yes. I, I think it's a – well, one, I'll tell you it's a case-by-case case basis. It's and I think right. you need to okay. find a mentor. And Laura, we talk about mentorship all the time here. Find a mentor, find a friend group, create a nice Facebook group, you know, group chat, something like that, where you guys can bounce ideas off of breedings with each other. And I will say in the Alpine world that I coexist in, we all kind of talk to each other about things. We run ideas yes, by each yes, we run ideas by off each other. We're we're candid with them all. Just the other day, somebody asked me if they should breed a goat to this buck. I said, absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, in my opinion, I don't think it's right. I don't think it'd be best. And there were concerns with it. But I think you have to find that person or that mentor that will say, hey, no, absolutely not. Or, yeah, this this could work. Um, but oftentimes that you've, you've also got to have it in yourself in order to do the research on it and go find those pictures as well. If you're using semen that's older or done the research, done the research on goats or talk to mentors about goats as well. That maybe yeah, I would like to think that there are people in every single breed that you could reach out to and learn from like that. And, and, you know, of course you and I are Alpine breeders and, and I can think, I can think of times that I've asked things of you. I've asked things of your dad. I've asked things of Craig Copeland. I've asked things of, of um, Randy Adamson. I've asked things yeah. of the Thompsons. I mean, and I've never had somebody say you're a competitor because I, I mean, you know, I've never had somebody say, I'm not going to talk to you about this. I don't want to share this knowledge with you. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like that goat people are, are, pretty darn nice to talk to. And especially if you truly do want to learn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So be that person for somebody else, if you have that experience, but if you don't have that experience yet, don't be afraid to reach out and, and ask those questions. But I will also say that if you are a new person and you're playing with really old semen, I would really caught or valuable semen. I would really caution you on that as well. Yeah. I, I would just say, don't, don't do it. Don't do it until you know what you're doing. Yes, I agree. Because I've seen a lot of good straws basically thrown on the ground for the equivalent of from some inexperienced breeders trying to use the semen and it didn't work well. Right. And it's not just the inexperience with AI because that does take some skill, but it's also inexperience of not knowing how to use some of that valuable semen. So again, ask people and learn. And, um, you know, AI is an amazing skill. It's an amazing tool that you can use in your herd. I think both of us have benefited from that, but I also can tell you this too. AI has a really dangerous side to it. 
And that's the fact that if you are one of those lucky people that can stick anything with AI, that can almost curse your herd because it's really easy to get a whole bunch of different types and a different, a bunch of different styles of animals because we've used all this different semen. It's going to be hard to get a consistency of type. Bingo. Playing with that right now, actually. Got four yearlings and they're all different. Yeah, but they're cool. They're cool yearlings. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay, but they're all different types. They're, they're all different yeah. types. And right. You, so so yeah. that's when you bring something line bred, something line bred back in to like pull those babies back into the fold, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. There. So yeah, there's, there's lots of different ways there. Laura, when do you see a lot of senior herd sires kind of go, come up for sale? Uh, I, I usually see them come up for sale in like March and April. Yeah. I when do agree. you see that? I mean, yeah, I would agree. You know, either either they've decided that he's come to the end of his usefulness in their herd or you know, they've got so many goats, they're running out of room and they need to move. You know, they need to move some things or they just found out that the, the buck that they had hoped to get was born. And so they need to move that sire out. Usually spring is a great time to get it. And honestly, from a, an aesthetic uh, thing they're not stinky so bad. They're a little easier to transport. They're not awful to mess with in the spring and summer. They're usually fat and lazy. So, you know, that can be a good time to, to introduce them to gotcha. at home. Yeah. Nope. I agree. I agree on that one there. Um, another debate question here. We can get off the rails with this one here. What qualities do you think make a good buck mama? I always call like the dam of a herd junior herd sire, a buck mama. Oh, that's a deep question, Cameron. This is well, what the I'm listeners want to know. I'm going to start with a. I'm going to start with a really basic thing, and this is what I was taught by my first mentor. And he said, "If you look at the udder on a potential buck mom, and you don't want to see that udder in your entire herd, walk away from that." walk away from that dough. So I think starting with a correctly attached mammary system at the very basics is where you want to go. Gotcha. What do you think? I think you need to pinpoint the weakest quality in your herd. So say all of your does have really rough or really posty. You Mm -hmm. better find a buck mama that has good angulation of back legs. Um, or whatever quality you want to improve in your herd. And I, I don't think that, you know, I, we focused a lot on line breeding and we'll not look at all of the line breeding instead of we looking at the, the type or the phenotypes of it all, um, which is good for the line breeding purposes of it all. But sometimes it, when you use it on a lot of goats, you necess- you sometimes do not get the improvement of what you're looking for. You get the same status quo. Which, which can be good if you like your status quo. Um, right. But but I think you're always looking for an improvement over what you have or something that is better in a buck mama um, compared to what you have now. I think too, Karen, you have to kind of, it's almost like you have to be an artist in the way that you breed and you have to understand what's behind it. And I'm going to give an example with that. I am a real sucker for those really pretty high, wide, round 
rear at our attachments. I love those. And the ones that are just have that beautiful 40 arch on them. I love that kind of a rear adder. And so when I first started breeding Alpines, I really focused on that. But I didn't realize that I had another trait that needed to be fixed before I really focused on that. And that was rump structure. So once I started focusing on rump structure and making sure that I had that width and levelness from thorough to thorough and, and the length of rump that I needed for that size of memory system that I wanted on there, then I was able to get the rear editor that I wanted. Does that make sense the way I explain that? Yeah, I, I agree. So I think like when we had, when we had um, Trinity on and she talked about um why general appearance is so important for every aspect of the dairy goat. I think that you have to keep that in mind. Um, front ends too. You know, it, it's important that you, ha- we all want those straight front ends, you know, where the toes point straight forward and everything. But if you don't realize that there are other things other than just toe out that can affect the way that the animal is straight or not straight in the front end, you have to know what you're looking at when you're looking at that dam of your future herd sire and make sure she has those traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. On that front. Yeah. I I think that at its core, a buck mama is a doe that you want to look like in your herd. You want a herd of goats that resemble them. And I think we've echoed that sentiment plenty of times here. Right. And, and and if you know that you have better than that in your herd, why are you considering that as your buck mama? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, when, when you were going off script here, when you put, see a doe, you like the doe. And do you ask the breeder what they're going to breed the goat to when you strike up that initial conversation or how I do you do about that? Okay. I, I do, but but I will tell you this too, Karen. As I said in the first part of this podcast, I really am a damn line person. So the the sire really doesn't have a huge impact on me unless it's just a sire that I already know that line doesn't work or I don't like it. It doesn't really matter too much to me who that dam is bred to, I guess. Or it doesn't matter to me as much as, as what that dam is. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Well, I will tell you that I am the exact opposite. I will not okay. buy. I will not buy a doe out of the sire out of the day, out of a goat if I don't like where they're breeding it to. And I am never going. And again, this is a cardinal rule here. Never, ever, ever, ever in a million years tell someone how to breed their goats unless they ask for help or ask for a suggestion. But it is not your job as a buyer to to suggest something to them, and it's an insult and slap in the face. I was just going to say the same thing. You know, Cameron, you and I, we could talk about, well, have you ever thought about breeding? Have you ever thought about breeding so-and-so to this? Mm-hmm. And we did that last year. We did that with, yeah. with that doe that you, that you guys gave me the semen to use. Yeah. That wasn't a buck that I'd really considered, but you knew that it was a line that I was trying to track down. Yeah. So, so that I was not offended by that, 
But I'm just like you. I would not go up to a breeder and say, I love that doe that just won her class at nationals. And if you'll breed her to such and such, I will buy a buck out of that breeding. Oh my gosh, I would never do that. And I think I, I agree. That is a slap in the face to a breeder. Yeah. So I will just politely say, okay, that's that's really interesting or something like that. And then I'll just excuse myself from spending money. <laughs> have you had people do that, Cameron? Like, have you had people tell you how to breed a goat? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, that's pretty I just say that, That's okay. And I'll just say, well, that, that's really interesting. I've never thought about that or something like that. And, or I'll say, oh, yeah, that's who I'm breeding her to or something like that. So, but, but the, uh, never, ever, ever tell someone how to breed their goat. That is a no no. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. But I, but I'm different than you. Is I will, I will not buy a, I will not buy a, a junior herd sire out of a doe if I don't like who they're breeding it to. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying that I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that the genes behind the doe to me are more important than possibly the genes behind the buck. Gotcha. And that's I think that's where, that's where I'm a little different there. I'll focus on a phenotype on the dam, but then a genotype on the buck. Well, and that's, you know, obviously giving you a lot of success. So, uh, you know, that's definitely something that I should consider. Yeah, no, no. It, it's Everybody does it their own way. There's a hundred ways to skin a cat is what I'm going to tell people. And yeah, as long totally. as you do what you do to make it makes you happy, you know, that's what the important thing is. We're just giving you some tips and tricks. Um, on how to go pick up. So Cameron, I'm going to go off, off script a little bit here. I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. I've got a question for you. Okay. Production. Yes. People have said, or I've heard people say that, as you line breed more, you are going to see your production drop. Is that something that you feel is a true thing thing with dairy goats? And do you ever just make a breeding based on production? No, um, I'm also a show breeder though. So, um, you know, I may make a breeding to say, hey, I know this goat needs to milk more. So I will breed it to this goat that I know or maybe maybe I'll do something like, hey, this goat needs more capacity of mammary system, so I will breed it to this buck in order to get that capacity or perceived capacity there, as I saw on the internet the other day. Um, but I don't ever say, hey, and look, you know, play the DHIR game, and I'll look up and I'll say, oh, we've got a six thousand pound milker here. I'm going to bring in a, a buck mama from that sixteen pound pound milker and breed it to all of my twenty three thousand pound milkers in order to up that production. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I figured. Do you, do you feel that line breeding reduces production? No, I, I, I don't. I really don't. I feel like that isn't something that I've seen either. So I, I feel like production stays stable with line breeding. Like you're not going to get more production. You're not going to get less production. You are going to get generally the same. Okay. So kind of, kind of wrapping things up, Cameron, um, what do you feel like is like a cardinal rule for our, for our listeners who are, who are out looking for that next herd sire? 
Start early. Start early. Um, you know, this should be the time that you should be identifying your potential new buck mamas is what I'll call it here. Um, and start those conversations early. That's that's my biggest thing is because you don't want to be caught, for lack of a better terms, with your pants down um, and back into a corner, as Laura said there. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the, for lack of a better terms, good bucks are gone because you waited until May to start. And I, I don't feel I don't have and in this case I'm really bad, but I don't have empathy for people that message me that need bucks now, unless for whatever reason they bought a buck and it passed away. That's when I'll show some empathy, but I don't have empathy for people that because we've been on Facebook advertising bucks all 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 uh, spring and winter, so it's not like they haven't been available. Right? Yeah, I so. I would agree with that too. So, and uh, we didn't want to feed them that long to begin with. So, <laughs> so we're not going to put the extra feed in for you. My hat is off to, I, I have some friends who are always like, you know, I'm always going to keep a couple of bucks around, you know, buck kids around because I always have somebody in the fall that, that uh, is interested in them. Um, wow. That's, that's really, I, I, that has not panned out well for me in the past. I'll sell bucks early on in the spring and the times that I've tried to keep them till fall, I still have them in the fall and, and I'm just not going to do that. I don't have enough room and have enough desire to keep, keep a baby buck that long. No, absolutely not. Start now. That's my, that's my biggest advice is is start now. So you can be number one priority of somebody's, you know, new herd for someone's new herd sire. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And Laura, Good what's your you. number one piece of advice? My number one piece of advice is uh, do everything you can not to settle for less than what you want. I like that. Sell some extra does, do what you need, but you know, find that herd sire that is really going to take your herd to the next level because a really good buck can make a huge impact on your herd. Yeah. I, I, maybe Catherine will listen to this and she will then go out and spend some money on a herd sire. <laughs> it's always easy to breed other people's herds, isn't it? Yeah. I, I told her that, uh, honey, you know, you just, you just pick out the herd sire you want. I'll pay for it. By that time, you know, our, our bank accounts will be joined. So you're really paying for it too. <laughs> you're really a nice guy, Cameron. <laughs> Uh, i'm trying i'm trying Uh, listeners thank you for being part of our goat gab family we're so glad to get to spend this time with you and um you know we would love your feedback so if you have any thoughts on this if you have some things that you'd like us to to discuss some other ideas please reach out and let us know and and um as always we cherish your feedback on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you want to leave us feedback. We appreciate it. Yeah, if you like us, tell a friend. If not, I'll give again, give us some feedback on that there. Um, you can find us on the Facebook, um, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts as well. Um, and I told the listeners last time that we would go back to a more formalized podcast structure with sponsor. Um, I did not get my ducks in a row. Um, but with the goats coming up, I should have a little bit more time for that as well. So um, look for some more regularly scheduled-ish programming here in the near future.
If you run into us at a show, please reach out and uh, say hi, because we love putting um, faces and names to our listeners. So Yeah, Laura will be at Nebraska, and then I will be at the Wisconsin State Fair. So come find us. Come see us. Kudos if you wear a Goat Gap shirt. Maybe I'll give you a hug or something if you're wearing one of those. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Goat Gap. Yeah.